Rip Van Winkle by Washington Irving was published in 1819 and is a historical fiction fantasy short story written as a posthumous writing of Diedrich Knickerbocker. The story is written as a true account of the titular character as he has an encounter in the fairy Catskill Mountains, drinks with them, and falls into 20 years slumber. Today, we'll compare the story to another tale of long slumber, the mystical nature of the story, and how the author uses time to deepen the setting. This is Analytical. Hello! Hello, hello. I'm Hannah. And I'm John. And we're your favorite literary nerds. So today, we're going to talk about Rip Van Winkle. And in the title of the story, it does have a little, like, subsection where it says... A posthumous writing of Diedrich Knickerbocker. And the story starts off with an account of saying the following tale, and it kind of gives you a little bit of a preceptor to the story. I think it is interesting to notice this because it does show you that the story is written from someone else's point of view, and it has a first-person narrator. So the first thing we have to ask, is this a true account? Is this actually accurate? Well, if this were being looked at as a historical writing, we would say this is a primary account because it's coming from a first-person source. And I don't know if that's necessarily a very good account or a very truthful account usually. So usually they're looked at as very honest accounts. And the original author, Diedrich Knickerbocker, I don't, I don't know if I'm pronouncing that name right. I doubt I am, but whatever. Mr. Knickerbocker, the author, he says that he doesn't for a minute doubt it. He says that this story is beyond the possibility of doubt. That's an actual quote from a kind of epilogue in the end of the writing. And I think that is very interesting to me because he just thinks this story is real and he says there's nothing that could convince him otherwise. He's looking at this as a true story, a real story. And I don't know if I can really buy it. That's interesting. I think it's supposed to be truthful for us, but I don't know why you can't buy it. I just don't really know if him falling asleep for 20 years, like, he's just like the original author, just like, yeah, this happened. Like, this is just what the people of this, the inhabitants of this village say happened to this man. So this is what happened. To me... I think this is more of a story of a man that wanted to dodge the war. I think that is the kind of, as I was reading the story, I'm kind of like, okay, so I I can buy the guy disappeared for 20 years. I can buy that part. I can't, I don't think that he was really stolen by the Fae or whatever in the mountains. I don't know if it ever says he doesn't age, but it doesn't seem like he aged. I think it does seem like he aged. His beard is now gray. His joints were stiff when he woke up. He aged. Okay, so he's he, an older okay. man. See, I thought he hadn't. So that maybe you just I read it wrong because it said he saw himself sleeping over there because I said, oh, that's old Rip Van Winkle. But that is his son. I know. That's why I thought it was weird. Okay, if his son okay. is that looks the same age as he is now, did think, he actually age? I think his son just had a rough life, didn't age so well. Which is another interesting thing because it kind of shows Rip Van Winkle as having a rough life as well. That he would rather starve on a penny than work for a pound. Which also leads me to believe he just ran away from his life and responsibilities. And his wife. Oh my god, his wife. This man did not like his wife. It does go into that a lot where he kind of like is down about it and he doesn't like it. And she, he even when he wakes up, he's like, wow, she's going to yell at me. I think just with the uh, context clues that provided for the story, I think that this is just a man that wanted to get away from his life and did. So I kind of dug a lot deeper into that idea and went into the years and everything. So the Revolutionary War lasted from seven years, from 1775 to 1783-ish. The major American victory in Yorktown was in 1781, but they were still fighting until 1783. When he wakes up and goes into the village, the first thing they ask him is whether he's a federal or a Democrat. So I used that knowledge, and the first party system ran roughly from 1792 to 1824. So he claims that he only remembers King George being the ruler. So if we use that as we can say that he probably fell asleep or whatever, disappeared at least a couple of years before the start of the revolution, 
Revolutionary War. So like, I don't know, 1774, 1773, around there. So he was asleep from 1773 to like 1793 at, at the earliest, and that's just when the party system first started running up. So I think that's a fair assessment. So from 1773 to 1793. I like your math here. That's really interesting. <laughs> yeah, I thought it was really interesting too. So he just kind of disappears from that time period. So to me, this is just a story of a man that ran away from his life and responsibilities in a brewing war. Because who likes war, honestly? Especially the citizens that are going to be forced to fight in it, like many of his, many of the people from his village were. And they say that that one guy that he knew became a congressman after he was a general of some sort or a commander. So I think that's fair to say that this man just wanted to run away from his life and uprooting trouble. And that's kind of how I was reading the story. I like that. That's a really interesting take that I hadn't had before. I will say that I just looked it up, and the Catskill Mountains are in New York. And the fighting first started in New York, if we can take Hamilton the musical as anything. But it seemed like that's really where all the, like, drama kind of happened. Revolutionary War source, Hamilton. Yes, of course. <laughs> and actually, with that idea, it does say that Diedrich Knickerbucker was a man living in New York and the four note, and there's a long history of Dutch settlement in New York. And actually, the Dutch founded New York as New Netherland, but it became New York. The Dutch originally founded it, and then the English came over and took it over. So there, it, it definitely was New York, and there's actually a long history of Dutch settlement along the Hudson River. And actually, I did the math there, too, because I thought that was interesting as well. By 1790, which is about when they were saying the story was taking place-ish, you know, like, there was... Around 2.5% of the U.S. population was Dutch. 100,000 out of, like, almost 4 million. Yeah, that's really interesting, too. I really like all you're looking up here. Want to cite some sources for it? It was all Wikipedia. <laughs> Which actually kind of takes me into my next part. I also did a quick Google, and I looked up the more fairy aspect. I did take it as a fairy tale. Even if it is supposed to be a historic account, it is in itself a fairy tale. It talks about the fae, it talks about the mystical nature. Well, even with just the, the subject matter, but the writing itself is very beautiful. I really could picture the mountains, and when he woke up, like, they describe the rust along the gun, and they take all, and I guess not they, the author, I guess there are two authors, author and editor, I'd say, but it's just one author. Irving describes the mountains in such great detail, and he describes all the townspeople. You really get a feel for them. So when Rip Van Winkle wakes up, you're really like, oh, where are they? And the dog, wolf, there's just so much detail. It really is very fairy tale like and it's just makeup, subject, and the way it is. I agree. And actually with that, there's a really beautiful line. He kind of used some, oh, what is it? Where you have, like, all the syllables or the start of this word the same, so, like... I know what you're saying. But alliteration. Alliteration. I thought it may have been that, but I wasn't sure. So there's a really beautiful alliteration with perpendicular precipices. I can't pronounce that. Right there. Perpendicular. Perpendicular precipices. And like he doesn't even just use alliteration. It's like the same P throughout the whole word, which is another form of alliteration. It's another word. And I'm sorry I'm not great with all the terminology. But it's just, it was so, like, that stuck out to me because I listened to the audiobook version of this and read along with it. That sentence got me. That was such a good use of language. And that's throughout the entire story. It's like that, which also kind of leads to the story being really long. It was such a long short story. It's almost like a novella length short story. I wouldn't say it's quite that long, but it is really long. A short story is supposed to be like five, or no, maybe it's 10,000. A thousand. It's a thousand? A thousand is considered, uh, under a thousand is considered flash fiction. Anywhere between that length and a novel length is just a short story. But there's also novella in between there. Yes, so that's why novella I wondered. still has to be kind of like novel length-ish. I don't know. I thought it was seemed more, because I thought a short story is more like 5,000 to like maybe 10,000. So this would fall in between. It's about like seven. It's in the short story range for sure. I don't know the exact parameters for a novella, but I do know that it still has to be like a long work. 
it just seemed really long. <laughs> but I think it is just because it has such beautiful language, and it is definitely the longest short story we've read to date, so... Sorry, listeners. <laughs> it just is a long one. We were not expecting I at least wasn't expecting it. This was my first time reading this short story, so I really had a fresh look on this. I've read most of these ones before. There's been at least one other one I haven't read, Young and Brown. But this one, I just had a fresh outlook, and I think that's a very healthy thing to take into a reading. For the last one, The Gift of the Magic, I've read that so many times. This one was just like, I had not been told what to think yet. So I, these are all my own original thoughts. And I will say, when I first read it, I was in like seventh grade, and it was in one of those little like, book magazine type things we would do and so it was a shortened version of the short story and that was like as an example of historical fiction which is why i said that in the intro but actually i think it's more categorized as a fantasy short story not historical fiction because it does focus more on the fantastical nature not the history I can see it be considered historical fiction because of the little forenote and the little frame narrative. Going back a little bit to my earlier point about the fairy tale. So I did also a Wikipedia search. I did a quick Google and went from there, which you can use Wikipedia. Just make sure you use the sources below. <laughs> yes, they're, they're a godsend for real. <laughs> so fairies are from all over. Like there's no one place that fairies originated. It does seem to be a little bit more Western with like Britonic, Gaelic, Germanic, and French. So my question was like, why was it a Dutch-centered story. And it makes sense when John says that New York used to be, like, you know, it's a hub for Dutch citizens. But I just didn't... It seemed to be more Dutch-centered than, like, I thought, like, Celtic or Pagan. It seemed weird to me to have it in a Dutch-centered town where I could see it more being, like, a Gaelic or a Welsh or Irish even, but they chose Dutch. Yeah, I agree. The Dutch is not the, my first thought when I think of a fairy tale or, like, an actual tale, including fairies, I mean. <laughs> The Dutch do have a lot of fairy tales. I'm not sure if... Aren't the Brothers Grimm Dutch? They might be. I'm not sure for... I'm not 100% sure. And then Hans Christian Andersen, that's kind of a Dutch name too. The Dutch do have a very extensive fairy tales. That's not what you first think of when you hear fairies. The, the Brothers Grimm are German, not Dutch. Okay. See, that one makes sense then, because Germanic is a very fairy-centric literature. Let me look up Hans Christian Andersen. I'm sure there's a rich and vivid history in Dutch, but we just don't know enough about the Dutch, I would say. And... It's just not, like, the stereotypical thought when you think of fairy tales is not Dutch. Hans Christian Andersen is in Denmark, and he says he's Danish. So still, not quite Dutch. There are a lot of Dutch fairy tales, and I have, like, a quick Google of just Dutch fairies. Came up with fairy tales, not their history of fairies. Yeah, I agree. It's just, it is a very interesting, unique thing to me. It wasn't what you expected, because whenever you think, at least when I think fairies, I think Celtic and, like, paganism. Yes. So to move on to our first point we pointed out... We want to talk about what this story can be compared to. So whenever I wanted to do Rip Van Winkle, I immediately thought of Avatar The Last Airbender. Because both go into a deep slumber, and I thought neither one ever aged. John says you can kind of see aging with Rip Van Winkle. There's a lot of evidence to his aging in the story. Okay, so that kind of takes away my point. But in Avatar The Last Airbender, Aang, the titular character, doesn't age. He goes into a deep sleep for a hundred years and then he awakes during a war. Now, Rip Van Winkle didn't necessarily awake during the war, but he awoke in the aftermath of a war. In some cases, so did Aang. The battles had already been fought. He just had to finish it. 
that's kind of where comparisons end. But I think it's interesting that maybe they kind of took from this for that story. Yeah, I don't know. I think that there's kind of a rich history of stasis and time stasis. You can even compare that to like, say, Futurama is kind of the comparison I had when I was reading the story because the dog even kind of plays into that. And Rip Van Winkle was a well-liked man. Everyone in the village liked him. Not Maybe not his own family, but everyone else liked him. So I think that kind of like goes with the Futurama too because Fry was a well-liked pizza delivery guy and then he froze and then he woke up like way later. So I think that there's a lot of comparisons there. And the, the dog is really what got me to compare the two because that's a big... Or not really a big part, but it's kind of a really sad episode of Futurama. So that was a really big comparison for me. Those are not good comparisons either because the comparisons differ in the time amount. Obviously, Futurama was like, I don't know, like 3,000 years. Avatar is like 100. For Van equals 20. I don't know what the exact first tale of time stasis like was, but I don't know if it was this one. And if it was, that's amazing. That's true. I don't know enough about it, but I think... Rip Van Winkle is pretty prolific, and it's taught in schools occasionally. I mean, I learned it in seventh grade. You might not have. But it is a story they use to show different aspects of literature. Just the setting in itself, use of language is really beautiful, and that would be a good example to students to say, hey, look, look what you can write with words. Also, just to do, like, the aspects of fantasy integrated into our own history, where it could be true, it could not be but it does play upon the fantasy and historical fiction. So I think it could be taken as a, like, inspiration for other stories. I think it definitely is taken as inspiration. And you have a really interesting point there about stories that are, like, used as um, examples. And, like, that's really their only purpose. Or not really their only purpose, but one of their major purposes. I think there's a long list of stories that are commonly taught throughout, like, different schools. And I think that's interesting. It is. I would like to say I think we've covered most of them in our first uh, spread we, of episodes. We definitely have covered a lot of them, but there's a lot other ones, like longer works. Like my bit, my first thought was Romeo and Juliet. I think that's a really common one to like learn in school and why. I think it's just Shakespeare. I know, but it's just, it's just <laughs> interesting to me. You just have to learn Shakespeare and that's the first one you think of. But also Romeo and Juliet, we're getting off topic, but Romeo and Juliet are used a lot for other adaptations, which could be said the same for Rip Van Winkle. I just think it's interesting. I don't disagree. I'm not disagreeing or agreeing with you. I'm just saying that it's an interesting point of all these works that are used as learning tools. That's true. I don't think people on their own go out and just read Romeo and Juliet unless they've been introduced to it in school before. God, I hope they don't. (laughs) We will not take that Shakespeare slander. I'm just kidding. I'm not a fan of Shakespeare. (laughs) He has good sonnets. I'll say that. Maybe we can go over one of his sonnets sometime. We'll do some poetry next. Sonnets are cool. I like sonnets. So another point I wanted to make, which I kind of alluded to earlier, is the time and the setting. So the setting is really beautifully described, and it does make it feel more like a fairy tale. But I think that the author uses time and the, like, oh, I want to say, the, like, time goes on. The passing of time. (laughs) You guys missed it, but John gave me a really mean look there. The passing of time to deepen the setting. So he really describes the, like, crumbling house and how things have changed, To show that we're in a different time setting. Not that we're in a different place, but that things have changed to him. Well, time is a parameter of setting. Setting doesn't just measure the physical location. It measures all parts that go into location, which does include time and date and place. That's fair. I just feel like he uses the passing of time 
to really set us in the story. Correct. I, I agree with you 100%. I just think that you're looking at it as a different thing beyond setting. What I'm saying that is just the full exposure of setting. Or this is the true level of setting. This is what people should be doing more with setting versus just saying, oh, the, the mountains. And he does great with the mountain setting too, but he does amazing using the time setting to his advantage. That's fair. I think I am kind of looking at it as how a lot of people don't necessarily use time in their settings. They just use words to show the place, not, oh, look at this the aging, the decrepit nature of it. And I think that's another great example from the story that you can take. It's just like time setting is important as well when you're creating a work. So I have seen before where they think Rip Van Winkle actually did die. So whenever the daughter says, we don't know if he went off into the woods and shot himself or was taken off by Native Americans, they don't know. So someone has like proposed that maybe someone else heard about Rip Van Winkle leaving and came in and took his place and then made this story. That is a good thought as well. I still like my original theory of him dodging the war, just because he kind of comes back and he knows people. Like, I guess they do tell him the story of Rip Van Winkle first, don't they? Like, it's kind of muddy there. But I think that it wouldn't have been hard for him to hear the story, obviously. Especially if we're hearing about it now, I think it would have been a pretty prolific story of, hey, this guy was asleep for 20 years, and maybe just missing, and then, originally, and then it became asleep when he took it over. I think it's a good thought. I still like mine better, though. I do like the war dodging, but I also do like the fairy tales. And I think it being categorized as a fantasy story shows that it's supposed to be a little bit mystical in nature and that you're not supposed to know exactly what happened. And I do think it's interesting that they describe the like creatures or whatever he's seeing as like almost human but not quite human. And he really describes the clothing and how it's so different. They say something about it being like Hollands and like Dutch. So they he thinks those people are just like native Dutch people. But really... It seems to be more as a fairy and not necessarily the Dutch, which is why I kind of thought, why Dutch, not Celtic or something else? It almost seems like a changeling thing. Like maybe he was switched out with a fairy too. Yeah, I, I definitely saw that one a lot too. There was, there was a lot of thought for that one as I was reading that as well. So to explain on that, a changeling is a usually a child that is swapped out with like a fairy. And so they take a baby and swap it out with their own fairy, like offspring. And so then that child grows up being different from their family and no one's quite sure like what's going on. I definitely think there was a lot of that like in the story. We could see undertones, I guess, not quite like the whole thing. It is the adult versus child thing, but it was definitely there. Yes, especially because like if the fae are involved, you kind of wonder, is it actually a human Rip Van Winkle or is it their own person going in and pretending to be him, like taking his memories or something too? Which is pretty on brand for fairies. They're usually mischievous. They're usually depicted as being mischievous, yes. I think there are different iterations of fairies. Well, I think in a lot of modern media, it's a lot nicer kind of like, oh, pretty fairies. But I think in like a lot of older media and like stories like this one or stories from around this time as well, or much before too, the fae are depicted as being mischievous. And not only that, the fae are usually depicted as being like demonic, where they're kind of like the fallen angels type. They're pagan. I wonder how much of it got twisted with Christianity coming into the narrative as much. I think a ton of it got misconstructed as that. And you make a really amazing point with the demonic comparison because I think a lot of that like thought process that you're having now is from Christianity coming in the area and saying, no, 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 no. All those legends and all of your religion that you have here is wrong and it's demonic. So maybe as Christian leaders came in and like missionaries were coming to like this area of Dutch and like Celtic areas and like other fairy areas, they kind of started taking those stories and demonizing them like literally. That is why we 
we get this like construction in our head and that you said that the fairies are demonic is because of what happened. I would just like to say I'm not thinking it's demonic. It's from what I read about like the Encyclopedia of Fairies and whatnot that they are usually construed as being demonic. And, and I think that that has a lot to do with religion coming in the area and trying to like be the dominant religion. Yes, and like demonizing the pagan aspects. Yes, Because exactly. there's also fairies that are seen as protectors. And so then if Christianity came in and were like, no, 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 your protector is only God. You don't need fairies. Those are demons. So I think that could be an interesting point of view as well as seeing how, you know, these fairies and then fairy tales itself got changed into something else. Yes. Well, John, is there anything else we'd like to talk about today? Not particularly. I think we really covered it all. Of course, there's always more we could talk about, and we'd love to hear your thoughts. If you I wouldn't say we covered it all, like, to begin with at all, but... This is a really long, short story, and we, of course, want to keep this to where you can listen in a quick little bite and not have to read our whole essay. Correct. So we hope you'll reach out to us and tell us your thoughts, and we'll see you next year. That was really dumb. <laughs> it's a new year! <laughs> you can cut that. Happy New Year, everybody. See I thought you, you would next say, year. I thought you would say Happy New Year and it would make sense. Press square. No, I want to keep this. Analytical is created, hosted, and produced by Hannah and John Newland. It is edited by John Newland. The artwork was created by Hannah Newland using Logo Maker and is owned by Hannah and John Newland. The theme music you're jamming to now is created by John Bartman, and you can check out more of his work at his website, johnbartman.com. Web design is by Hannah Newland, and you can find us at analyticalpod.wixsite.com slash analytical. And you can find that link in the description. All our social pages are at analyticalpod, and you can email us at analyticalpod at gmail.com to reach out and discuss your thoughts on this episode, to chat about literature, or life. Please rate and review us, and subscribe to our podcast, and tell your friends. It will help other people find and enjoy as well. Watch out, watch out, watch out, watch out, watch out.